While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. Thanks for joining us this evening. 508-996-0500 is how you can join us uh, on the program. Chris McCarthy will be back later in the week. Um, but joining me now is Greg Eaton. Greg is the host of the Right Massachusetts podcast. He's also a Republican political consultant helping campaigns, uh, helping uh, candidate Republicans for candidate uh, for elected office from Senate town to constable, he said. So from federal to municipal, Greg's got you covered there. Um, so. Greg, one of the things we're talking about, speaking of federal office, and it's something that's going to indirectly or directly impact Massachusetts, is the changing in the primary schedule, at least for Democrats, where they want to remove New Hampshire, I think Iowa, as the first in the nation primary. Um, what do you think of that? So uh, the thing that I find interesting here is that the New Hampshire state legislature has a law in place that says that it has to be the first um, so primary in, in the, the nation. That's so funny. Which, which just, it seems mind-boggling when you sit down and think about it because you're like, what authority does the New Hampshire state legislature have to tell the rest of the country that they have to be first? Yeah. That's the first thing. Um, I mean, as you and I talked about, uh, I think that, uh, it is interesting um, that the DNC wants to move this to begin with, um, and do they have an ulterior motive in moving it? I'll, yeah, they do. I'll ask that question to you, of you, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, they totally do. So here's my thing. I don't think Iowa and New Hampshire should be the first states, um, honestly, in the, in the country. I don't think that their demographics and their politics definitely don't really reflect the Democratic Party by and large and definitely don't reflect the country as well. So, it, you know, when you get those two states lined up, you know, you get a candidate that um, might pre- present this, you know, air of uh, inevitability. Um, I, I don't think it's representative, but I don't think it ends up being representative of, of the broader electorate. So, like, I am supportive of it. Um if you're going, if we're going to have these staggered primaries, personally, I just think everybody should just vote all in one day. Would make life a lot easier. Um, but if we're going to have staggered primaries, I'd be looking more at like I've said, a state like Illinois, which has, I think, geographic and demographic diversity for the Democrats. So I, I think, in terms of where the Democrats should pick. I think a state like Illinois would be good, um, a good place to look, uh, because I think it's a bit more reflective on what they're trying to do. Um, but, and I, I just frankly don't think there's nothing other than this like sentimentality and this like yield democracy stuff that's making New Hampshire or Iowa even considered for first in the nation. They don't, I don't think they, they, they don't, they're not entitled to it. They don't deserve it. And especially not the Democrats in Iowa after they totally and absolutely bungled and some might say some reasonable people might say rigged the Iowa primary so uh, it, it's it, you know it seems pretty clear they need to move on from from that system 
So let me uh, let me ask a quick follow up question here because this is a thought that I've had for a little while. Um, what happens if the Republicans and the Democrats hold different primaries? Is <laughs> is that a possibility? Because yeah. in theory, the RNC could say, "No, we're not going to change the primary calendar. New Hampshire is the first primary, and we're going to hold it on New Year's Eve now yeah. uh, of 2024." So that we could be the first in the nation. Everyone has to show up at midnight and vote for whoever the president's going to be <laughs> right. at 2024. Uh, you know, and so this is like something that if we're going to have the two uh, the two political parties determine their own primaries, basically, which is kind of what the, the DNC is doing at this point. Uh, the, I think that they're kind of forcing the RNC's hand on when the primaries are going to be. Um, is it a possibility that the RNC is not going to go, not going to play ball? And then you have Republicans showing up to vote for whoever they're going to pick for president on one day and Democrats showing up on another day. And I don't know what the unenrolled do. I hope that there's a good education program to teach them when they're supposed to show up to vote. <laughs> yeah, right. It's true. It's it's true. It could be, it could end up being messy because most people don't pay attention to the level that like someone like you or me do. Um, so you're going to have, you're going to have people that might show up and think they're voting for, like, I'm going to show up and vote for Joe Biden or even like whatever Gretchen Whitmer. And then it's like on the ballot. It's like, wait, hold on. Chris Sununu, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump. But this isn't, no, I'm not, this is a mistake. I, right? I, can't, I came to the wrong primary day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, right. oh, your primary was actually three weeks ago. Sorry about that. Like, yeah. You can't vote. Like, yeah. well, imagine the amount of disenfranchisement and dis- disenfranchised voters that that could cause. Does it that could. open? Does that open both national committees up to lawsuits? Well, here's the thing. You know, if you're voting in a primary, though, it could. Here's the thing. If you know you're voting in a if you're voting in a primary, you know you're pulling a ballot of a certain party, right? So if you're like. People who vote in primaries do pay a little bit more attention, so it might. But it's still it's still going to be a recipe for disaster. There's going to be people showing up in the wrong days. I, I I think there'd have to be. And like, why it doesn't make sense? Why does New Hampshire like because they have a state law that that state law doesn't like like you said. It doesn't govern everybody else. People can pick their own days. Does that mean New Hampshire has to kick it back to November? Like that's when their primary is going to be? Is it going to be at the end of this year because they have to do it that that, that year? I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I, I don't. See, it's not a compelling argument for me. It, I mean, I don't disagree with you here. Also, if they are going to have first in the nation status, shouldn't it be something that the federal government's determining, not their state government? Well, that's the other. I mean, I mean the, the states other. are in charge of their own primaries. That's the other problem. Well, I mean, states are in charge of their own elections, right? So, um, but you know, if we're going to determine who the first primary is by law, does it make sense for the the New Hampshire state legislature to decide that? When it make more sense <laughs> yeah. for for Congress and the, yeah, the, the federal, Senate, right, the federal, the federal government, government to determine when the primary is going to be? Uh, and obviously, I, I'm not for federalizing our elections because I think that there's actually uh, some inherent. Uh, election security that comes with the states being in charge of their own uh, elections and federalizing the system, I think, would make for a, a big mess um, on that front. But uh, well, yeah. I don't know what I mean. It's kind of a mess now. We're talking about whether or not New Hampshire is going to put their primary in the you know on like Halloween if <laughs> if they don't get their way. Um, I know. Here's the thing with the for the Democrats too. I, I don't know if they if it's like. 
I think they're giving up on I think they've given up on Iowa. Iowa used to be a state Democrats can win, but I think they've moved on from it. I think the map has changed uh, for them. It changed for the Republicans too, because Democrats are now looking at okay, we're done with Iowa. We're done with we're we're done with Iowa. We're looking now at Georgia. We're looking now at Nevada. Arizona. Nevada has become a little bit more of a battleground. They've they've been able to win there. I think the last Republican to win there might have been Bush Jr., but I'm not entirely sure. So they're looking in that area. I think in the Southwest and even um, the South, uh, even a couple in the Southeast. You know, North Carolina. I don't think is that far out of reach for the Democrats too. So they might be refocusing their efforts elsewhere and saying, even if we lose New Hampshire to this. You know, whatever we can lose New Hampshire, we're going to pick up. We're going to pick up some of the southern states. I'm not sure. So, do you think that that entered into their their thought process? Clearly, you do, because otherwise, like, why? Else? I think after I think after Iowa was so Iowa was such an embarrassing disaster, and uh, you know, here's my thing with with how Iowa went. Um, you can believe that a windfall of disaster just so happened to benefit one candidate coincidentally or is a coincidence or you can be a reasonable person because i don't think at all for a second that there wasn't because there there was some people that were involved in the data software that were involved in Buttigieg's campaign i think the 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 the, the system in iowa is so incredible was so incredibly flawed and uh it was such a disaster that there was no way that they were going to let Iowa Iowa the Iowa caucus happen first ever again and i think they should just do away do away with caucuses in general people should just show up to vote um as far as new hampshire goes i mean i think so i think that might have played a role into it they might just be saying like cuz it might it might it might tick some people off the other the other part of that is I don't know how many general election voters, people that just show up on November of 2024, are going to say, well, they changed the primary date, so I'm really upset about that because I think most of them don't vote in the primary. So I think maybe it was a part of their calculus. Uh, I think if it was, they're saying they're willing to they're willing to sacrifice that to move on and focus their efforts in, in, in state more populous states that they think they can win. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely a uh, definitely a good point that you've raised about um, where they want to focus their attention, and mm-hmm. if focusing their attention uh, in southeastern mass in southeastern United States makes more sense for the Democratic Party, it does. Um, then having those primaries happen earlier in the calendar. Uh, is better for the Democratic candidates because they're going to be spending more time down there. Yes, um, and they're they're going to spend more time focusing on things like South Carolina and Georgia, um, and you know those two states aren't very far apart from each other either. Yeah. Um, so you know it's pretty easy to set up a day where you're you know in uh, South Carolina in the morning and then in the afternoon you're going to be in Georgia you know hitting some of those um, important counties right outside of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Fulton County. Right. Yeah. Fulton County is super mm-hmm. important to the map on both sides. Yeah. Uh, and it's skewing more towards the Democratic side for sure. Um, so, Frankly, you, if they didn't run Stacey Abrams again, I think they might have a Democratic governor um, the, way that the, the way that everything worked out. But they did. So whatever. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, the other part of it is here's the other side of that. They made South. They want to make South Carolina the first primary. So this is clearly done to benefit Joe Biden. Who is a guy who left New Hampshire, by the way, halfway through the New Hampshire primary because he knew it was going to be that bad. And he flew mm-hmm. to South Carolina, by mm-hmm. the way. So, uh, you know. 
That's when uh, Jim Clyburn got involved. That's when that was one of those races. They called it. They called South Carolina like right at the when the polls closed. I remember that they called South because Bernie Sanders had won. He had won Nevada, uh, New Hampshire, and uh, he'd won Nevada, New Hampshire, and Iowa. And then Biden had taken South Carolina. A lot of that had to do with Jim Clyburn down there, too. And I think that benefits him as well, who's been long, long uh, for a long time considered a kingmaker in the Democratic Party. So I think it also benefited uh, Jim, Clyb- uh, Jim Clyburn. So, I mean, Chris Sununu had this point, the governor of New Hampshire. He said, you know, why are we going to change what we do to benefit President Biden? Right. And I think that's actually a pretty decent point, because the way they set it up is just very transparent and obvious what they want to do. They could have made it another state, another southern state and said that this is actually going to be our first prime, something that that wasn't considered a major primary, because South Carolina has always been considered a major primary for one reason or another. They're on Super Tuesday now, right? Or no? Uh, South Carolina? Yeah. They might be now. I don't know. Super Tuesday. Well, so Massachusetts is Super Tuesday. Tuesday right. Um, Massachusetts, California, Texas, uh, Minnesota is uh, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think of all of them. I can't think of all of them. There's a couple southern states, too, I think. A couple other southern states as well. Um, but they might be. A, they No, because South Carolina is supposed to be the first. I think the first primary. So, oh, you talking about New Hampshire and right? I'm talking about in the last cycle where they are they currently. Well, I mean, I, who knows what they are currently? The schedule was, the schedule was. I remember for the Democratic primary, it was Iowa and all that disaster. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire, Bernie yep. won. Bernie won Iowa too. But did uh, did they determine the Iowa caucus before or after the New Hampshire primary? By the way, sometime after they said uh, Bernie got the most votes, but Pete Buttigieg somehow got like point six more delegates after it was ridiculous. So uh, Iowa won the Iowa won the uh, so Iowa New Hampshire Bernie won New Hampshire. Then it was Nevada, and that Bernie killed everybody in Nevada. Um, and that was a caucus. He killed everybody in Nevada. And then South Carolina, where Biden started to do fairly well in Nevada, South Carolina, he had won by he won by so much that he'd actually tightened the delegate lead in the race with Bernie. And then Super Tuesday came and that's when everybody else had dropped out and consolidated behind Biden to screw Bernie. And it worked because that's when Biden had picked up all those states on Super Tuesday. So it was pretty clear that South Carolina was the bellwether for Biden's campaign. And making it first again is very clear that they're just doing it to help Joe Biden again. Uh, So the um, South Carolina primary uh, was held on February 29th. So, yeah, I mean, you're you're Mm -hmm. spot on with your. Your uh, remembering. I'll never forget. I was a big Bernie guy. I campaigned for him over here. So okay, Um, yeah. So you know, um, the thing that I find interesting here is, uh, does the Democratic Party end up damaging itself by doing this? Um, Does it? Does it lead to less candidates running? Uh, Is there a chance that? Uh, someone that was going to primary Joe Biden, which well, 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 that's I think that's what they're looking for. I think that's so. I think that they they don't think 
they don't think it's a good thing that a, that a candidate will run against Joe Biden, right? Right. Right. So, right. And if they want, if a candidate's going to run against Joe Biden, they want Joe they want Joe Biden to, to come out of the gate swinging, and, right. and South Carolina would be a way to do that. If he was that success, he was so successful, he got fifty percent of the vote. At, at that point, was a six way primary. So if someone like Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, jumps in, or J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, jumps in, right? Then you're looking at Joe Biden's going to win that state again, right? He's going to win that state again. And he's going to win it by a lot. So they want whoever's going to whoever comes out. He, they want him to to be able to punch them in the mouth because they don't think that a hotly contested primary is good for the party. Is good for maintaining the White House. And actually, history has shown that they're right. That they're correct. That yes. is correct. Jimmy Carter was primaried strongly by Ted Kennedy. Ronald Reagan by Gerald Ford. Mm-hmm. So when you get a primary like that, it typically means most people aren't. You know, your if your party doesn't like you, right. how is the country going to have faith in you? And I think that's where the Democrats are at in that reasoning. Um, but my question to you is that. Uh, is Joe Biden's uh, approval ratings so underwater that it would, uh, you know, be advantageous? Where, where, where are they now? I don't uh, even know. To be honest with you, I'd have to look it up real quick. But yeah. the last I knew that they were below 50%. Below 50? Yeah. Obama won with below 50. It depends. If they're in the four, if they're in the 30s, that's real bad. If they're in the 40s, that's survivable, depending on who the Republicans nominate, honestly. It, it could be a situation where they like... They don't like Joe Biden, but they don't like the other guy. They they don't they dislike the other guy more. So forties um, is okay. I think Obama won. He had like a forty seven to forty nine. I think it was around forty seven percent approval rating. So five four five thirty eight. Um, like aggregate uh, has it at fifty two percent disapproval. Right. Okay. And forty three point two percent approval rating. It's bad for sure. I wouldn't say it's not survivable. Um, again, I think a lot of that will depend on how the Republicans run. But you never – so you're going to start seeing people, do, you know, I think jumping in the water now. So if you start to see those those numbers uh, fall back a little bit more, if there's more economic angst and all of that, then maybe I would say some people start to jump in. But – I don't think we're at a point. I don't think we're at a point where it's it's you know things are so dire that 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 he has to he has to step aside for the good of the party. I just don't think it's that. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that he's gonna step aside. Uh, oh, he definitely it, won't for the the good of the party. It, anyway. Here's the so thing: like that would be altruistic. And there's one thing that Joe Biden has never been in his entire life, in his entire career, he has never ever shown. A single bit of altruism. <laughs> so I, I don't think so. He's always Joe Biden has always and forever been about himself um, for. And I know a lot of Democrats try to like he's a good man. He's a good guy. Listen, I'm a Democrat. I wanted Joe Biden to win. I wanted him to beat Donald Trump. Joe Biden's a bad guy and he doesn't really care. Right. He doesn't he doesn't care about the good of the party. He cares about Joe Biden and Joe Biden getting elected. And so he's never had a, a he's never had a solid ideological framework to work from. He's always just said, "Well, what's popular? What's good? I'll go with that. You know, what's going to get me from point A to point B? Okay, that's where we're going. That's what Joe Biden is. So for him to step aside and say this is for the good of the party or this is for the good of the country, that has been antithetical to everything that Joe Biden's ever stood for. So no, he's not going to step aside. So I have the uh, just because I have the graph open. Uh, the last time that Joe Biden was above water on the approval rating uh, was in 
August of 2021. Yeah, it makes sense. Because uh, I remember talking, I remember saying, um, I, I guess at one point I said, Joe Biden's approval numbers are pretty good right now. And then they started to not be good. And then like five months later, someone called me and said, oh, well, you got to talk more about Joe Biden's approval numbers. You said they were so good, like whatever, six months ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess I said that. Right. Whatever. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty typical for a president, though. Right. What's the highest presidential? So the highest presidential approval rating for someone leaving office was Bill Clinton. And it was 60 percent. That's not that high, right? So I think once the honeymoon is over, uh, you know, I, I think sub 40, I think sub 50s is pretty, I think it's pretty normal. Um, the uh, the low point for him was July of last year. Uh, at the very end of July, he, it was 60, it was almost 60% that disapproved mm-hmm. of his uh, 56.9% disapproved of his uh, performance as president. You know, and I think what it, the turning point was is uh, that speech that everybody hated. <laughs> the the one with the red oh, background. Oh, boy, yeah. The no, one with the red background where we talks about the whatever, the super magas or whatever. I think that was a, <laughs> I think that was a turning point for him. Um, and he had like a string of pretty solid accomplishments that had gotten him on, a, I think, a better, a better pace. So... Um, I, I don't know if it's even good for them to run somebody else, but if they do, you know, I think they're well positioned to put South Carolina purse. So Joe Biden just again lands a solid punch in the mouth. Um, well, as a Democrat, if they were going to run someone else, who's yeah. your guy? So Who, or or your woman? Yeah. So um, it's tough because I'm not really the the candidates that would get elected are never like really candidates that are more or less like super enthusiastic about uh, again i i was a very enthusiastic about bernie sanders i dedicated a decent amount of time and money to his campaign um so like yeah i would like him to be president i would like them to be president six years ago you know be elected president but that he's not going to run so um i think in terms of viability if i'm going to speak in those terms rather than who do i like because uh, you know i i don't like anybody <laughs> um i think gretchen whitmer pre- presents uh a, an interesting profile being a being a governor mm-hmm. from a state that democrats need to win mm-hmm. right and from a region democrats need to win or republicans need to win and um you know having been reelected, uh and she's a woman which the Democratic Party, you know, more so than the Republican Party, does see that important. Listen, I think it's important that one day we have a woman president, but the Democratic Party really prioritizes that in the way I think the Republicans don't. Um, J.B. Pritzker is actually interesting because of his financing that he has. He has a ton of personal wealth that I think could end up, I think, could put a lot of the sort of biden inc people in his orbit more at ease you so know this, basically if he buys them off candidate that i'm not 100 percent familiar with uh can you tell me a little bit jb pritzker is the governor of illinois he was he talked about running for president in 2020 he talked about pr- running for president in 24 like a, a uh, probably about the beginning of this year somewhere on the beginning of this year he had talked about it his family had um owned uh, I forget which major hotel train, but he's okay. a, he's a person that he's a, he comes from wealth. He comes from wealth. Uh, he's from, to my knowledge, a pretty popular governor. Um, he's implemented some, I think, 
you know, capital P progressive reforms, but I think he's pretty much moderated himself. So uh, he's got an incredible amount of personal wealth. He is a big sort of a huge guy. Yeah. Huge. I just pulled up a picture of him. He's huge. And so I don't know if that that I maybe that presence kind of works, but he pulls it off. Like that presence where I think that presence really works for him. And the 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 big the big selling point for Pritzker is one he comes from a huge state. Two he has a lot of personal wealth, um, which I think can be used effectively in a presidential campaign against someone like Biden. Gavin Newsom's another guy. He mm-hmm. can tap into the Silicon Valley donor base, which is huge. Which is you know one of that helped Kamala Harris rise to power. But I don't know if Gavin Newsom plays nationwide. I, I just don't know. So I think that Gavin Newsom has the same problems that you raised with uh, Ron DeSantis about yeah. the fact that he is very much on the the left side of the social issues, and he uses those things whether he's intentionally using them or the media is just you know naturally buying into it um but he is very much on that side of the the issue and i think that that is a very uh polarizing thing for him and i'm not sure whether or not he's going to be able to get mainstream blue dog democrats to really buy into his vision um after looking at what's happened in california uh i believe that california has one of the highest uh rates of people leaving the state Uh, so i mean if that's the case then like it's yeah. a pretty easy like actually i think more more people left california than any other state i think that was the case i think you're right but i yeah. don't have the numbers in front of me so a lot of that had to do with i think the rising property like it's you can't afford to live in california right. Right? yeah i mean that's a huge problem in fact i actually just saw a story about uh, a woman that bought a house in um washington or oregon that thought she was going to be able to work from remotely forever uh and now they've called her back to the office and now uh she's trying to figure out whether or not she can sell the house at a loss because she <laughs> yeah. just bought it right and the housing market's gone a little sideways um or you know should she rent it out or you know how is this all going to work because she's going to have to move back to uh California in order to work her job or get a new job. Like Hyatt Hotels is the she should have probably did a little bit better planning, it seems. Honestly, I do feel bad for her, but she should have planned that a little bit better. She should have asked her bosses, is there any scenario in which you call me into the office? Right. If they said no then yeah, I got it. Then she's got something actionable, honestly. Um because she detrimentally relied on what they what What they told her. What they told her. But Um, but, uh, by the way, uh, Ward 5 City Council Scott Lima told me Hyatt Hotels is what J.B. Pritzker owns. I think he's got a lot of personal wealth, and um, I think that can I think they could go a long way to with the donor base, uh, I think, of the Democratic Party. Greg, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. We talked about this at the break. We never mentioned Kamala Harris for 20, for 2024. Yeah, because you can't even do it with a straight face. That's why you didn't mention her. She, well, <laughs> we brought it up. She's not a good candidate for a few reasons. Um, one, yeah, she didn't even register uh, for her campaign in the state that she lived in. Uh, two, she her campaign didn't make it to Iowa. <laughs> The last so there's a famous picture online of Kamala's New Hampshire campaign office and literally the only thing left in it 
is a rolled up bag of Cheetos and they're the puffy Cheetos. They're not even like the good ones that you're thinking of, the <laughs> ones that kind of look like like caveman clubs, like those Cheetos. <laughs> those are the good ones. They're the puffy Cheetos. Those are the last the last thing left from Kamala's uh Kamala from New Hampshire and really the Kamala presidential campaign. So um uh she is got a terrible track record um as a attorney general and as a DA of doing some pretty bad stuff. Uh, and she's not a good, she doesn't have, a, I don't think she has really good approval ratings. So, uh, no, I don't think Kamala's a viable candidate. What about Mayor Pete? <laughs> the Secretary of Transportation? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Mayor Pete, you know, Mayor Pete is interesting for, like, it was funny because. There was no reason for him to drop out in, in 2020. He was doing better than Joe Biden, right? So, like, he was doing better. He, he he had some really, he had some deficiencies in his demographic appeal, though. And I think that that carries over. And I think, here's the thing with Biden. He's, you know, you can say he's this, he's that. He's still got his old tricks because... He made Pete Buttigieg the face of the supply chain issue, right? Because mm-hmm. he's Secretary of Transportation. He gave him a really bad cabinet appointment. And he also made Kamala the face of the border. So mm-hmm. I think he's still I think he's still done a pretty good job putting his former political opponents in positions where they can't threaten him. <laughs> I think he's been pretty effective with uh with Mayor Pete. So I don't think Mayor Pete is a viable candidate. Uh, what about uh, Marty Walsh? Yeah, I guess it's the same thing. Like cabinet secretaries, like who's the last cabinet secretary that we elected president? Herbert Hoover, I think. Uh, yeah, that, that seems like a good possibility. <laughs> yeah, he was secretary. I think Herbert Hoover was secretary of commerce, and we elected him president. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Marty Walsh. So I guess Marty Walsh does make some sense he was the mayor of a major city uh he was uh you know the secretary of uh these i say was because he's going to end up being the head of the nfl uh, the nhlpa but he's he's the head of this the department of of labor which i think is a little bit more identifiable than transportation um he's a, got a bit more everyman appeal than someone like pete Buttigieg does and um I think he's going to put himself in a position where he's going to make himself a lot of money and tap into maybe a new donor base by being the head of the NHL Players Association, which it seems like he's going to be. So it makes sense. Again, I still don't really – I just don't see it. So do you think that he's taking – the presumably he's going to end up like you said the president of the NHL. Uh, I mean, if he, he gets offered the job, I don't know how, how he doesn't take it. Right. Uh, I believe that the last I heard it was like a three million dollar uh, payday for him, uh, and he makes two hundred eleven thousand as right. the transportation secretary. Do, I mean, the the labor secretary. Labor secretary. Yeah. Do you think that that him possibly taking this job is uh, kind of a um, uh, I guess a, a red herring to the fact that. Uh, Joe Biden's going to run in 2024 and that there is no path for anyone else. Um, so he's going to, you know, take himself into the private sector a little bit here and, you know, make some money and then, you know, come back later on when Could be. when there's an opportunity. Could be. I mean, there's no uh, sen- there's no there's no Senate race for him to run over here right. um, because Warren and Mark, you said they're running again. But I mean, Warren's 
definitely running again because she's she's pretty she's got she's a little bit older now, but she's got some vigor and the, the election's only a year away, so there's nothing that's gonna stop her from running again so he doesn't have a path. Ed Markey I think's a little bit different. He said he's gonna run in twenty twenty six. I think he's gonna be eighty years old. So we're not you know, I, I'm not sold on Ed Markey running again, but that would at least there at least might be some opportunity for him. Um, there's not going to be a governor's race for him to run because Maura Healy's going to run again, and unless she runs for president, right? Um, she's going to run again in 26, or Kim Driscoll will run if for whatever reason Maura Healy moves up somewhere. Uh, Kim Driscoll will run anyway. So there's no there's no real pathway, for, and he's not going to be a lieutenant governor nominee. So there's no real pathway for 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 him for statewide office right now. So I think that could be I, I think that could be it if he's looking. Because he has expressed interest in running for higher office. He talked about wanting to run for governor, right, when he became transportation secretary. He talked about wanting to run for governor. Maybe he would have if he didn't get tapped. And that would have been an inter- that would have actually been an interesting primary between him and Healy. I think that he would have won pretty easily, actually. I, I, I think, you know, Boston's where all the votes are. Hot take <laughs> here, too. I don't think that uh, more Healy... Uh, if you really like press her buttons, I don't think that she's really had any real challengers um, for a political office. She definitely hasn't. So, you know, other than the primary in 2014, um, she hasn't had a single challenge. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, I like Jay McMahon a lot, but she beat him by a million votes twice. Right. So, you know, I think that um, she beat Jeff Deal by one million votes when you have a candidate. <laughs> it's the it's the quintessential thing. Everyone has a plan to like, get punched in the face. Yeah, right. right. I'm not 100 percent sure that more Healy's ever gotten punched in the face yet. I agree. And politically, at least, you know, uh, she's had a pretty easy time of it as AG. Um, yeah. And then politically, um, she had a pretty easy time of it every time that she's gone to the ballot box, which, you know, is the mark of a good candidate, I guess, um, is someone that, you know, wins pretty easily uh, at the ballot box. But, you know, I, I think that um, if she was to get into a real, uh, real dogfight here with uh, with another candidate and Marty Walsh uh, has a pretty good political machine behind him. He does specifically in Boston. Yes. Uh, and like you just said, that's basically where all the votes are. Um, you know, when you when you try and figure out the statewide map, the place to mm-hmm. put all your resources is inside of one twenty eight. Yeah. Um, so it, he would easily be able to transition that big political machine that he has inside of Boston, I think, to all the suburbs pretty easily. So uh, I think that that would be a really interesting race if it had come to fruition. If it had happened. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I, I think, honestly, what's more realistic for Marty Walsh is. Just being the head of the NFLPA, maybe being the commissioner of the NFL, NH, I mean NHL, NHL yeah. one day or something like that. I think transitioning to that world, I think makes just more sense to just kind of stay there. I think here's the thing, like with Charlie Baker, Charlie Baker is now like the king of sports. And that's way cooler than being in politics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not lying. If like, you can be a, like a big sports guy, I don't know why you leave. All right, we had to take a break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Whether you're with real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. Going down till the sun comes up. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM. Good, good evening. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, so where were we? Uh, Marty Walsh. 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it again. I think he's going to be a sports guy. Being a sports guy is cooler. Um, he, him and Charlie Baker, like you know, they're they're famously good friends. And the I guess, bromance. Yeah, they decided to, to to do sports stuff together. So <laughs> I kind of think that's where we're at um, with with that. I, I think um, I think that's that's pretty much it. It would be more exciting if we could get like a Marty Walsh running for Senate or something like that. Like I don't know. I think Warren and Markey should not run again. Honestly, I think I, I really think senators. I think two terms. There should be a two term limit. Personally, so term limits for legislators. I'm not as big on as term limits for executives. But like, it gets to a point where I just you know, I don't know. I think there's other people that can lead. I think certainly Warren. I th- think doesn't have as much like Warren is running again is more agreeable than Ed Markey. Ed Markey's going to be 80 years old, I think, when he runs again. He's going to be 80. He's been in Congress for 50 years. Um, It's like, and I think it's time to let it go, you know? Um, I don't think, I don't know if he has any chairmanships at this juncture. I I don't know. I couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I don't, listen, I don't hate Ed Markey or anything like that, but I just think it'd be better for Massachusetts if some new blood came in. Although, that argument's been made before, and uh, we saw that one. Yeah, exactly. Joe Kennedy <laughs> tried to make that argument. Bad campaign. Uh, it was a ba- I'm sorry. It was a bad campaign. Was it? Was you know what's you know what's interesting? We haven't really talked about not, not that this is super like involved in the talk the topic we're talking about, but since I just brought up Joe Kennedy, State of the Union is tomorrow, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm actually the, having Jake Auchincloss on before the State of the Union, so stay tuned for that. Uh, the um, the retort is being given by uh, the governor of Arkansas, I believe, uh, Sander, uh, Huckabee yeah. Sanders. Yeah. Sarah. The, the, Sarah. The former press secretary. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the, uh, the daughter of Mike Huckabee, the former governor of Arkansas. Correct. The host of Huckabee's on, uh, Huckabee on Sundays. Is that still even on? I don't know. I'm not sure it's still on. Um, but uh, the, the reason why this jingled my memory was because Joe Kennedy gave the uh, the retort <laughs> right here in Fall River. In Fall River, yeah. Uh, and uh, we see how that, that turned out. It's a tr- it's a curse. Yeah, th- this is what I was getting at. Actually, was like th- I remember thinking back. So Marco Rubio gave it right, and that was the infamous water gate. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sip a sip of water. Bobby Jindal did it, but he like wor- looked weird. Bobby Jindal, yep, another uh, one. Nikki Haley was like talking through her teeth. Um, yeah, uh, Joe Kennedy with the with the chapstick thing. Marco Rubio <laughs> with the water was the worst. The one. lips. Oh man, I'd forgotten about the M- Marco the Rubio lips. stopping mid speech to ch- yeah. chug a little pull <laughs> spring. It was so bad. Uh, Listen, uh, we got to take a break. We'll we'll be right back. Fourteen. Terrible. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. You're in the off air podcast now. Right. Yeah, it's like the Nixon tapes. We should. Uh, you should put uh, like a recording device in here, and then you should do the the off air podcast. And oh, then yeah. post it. That would be it'd be quite the show. Listen, I'll tell you something. <laughs> Our podcast here at South Coast Tonight does really, really well. I, I believe it. You guys but, do a great job down thank here, you. by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. The off air podcast would be <laughs> would beat Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> the 
off-air podcast for South Coast tonight would beat Joe Rogan. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so in the next hour, I think we got a few things to talk about. Um, I think the China balloon's interesting. Uh, is there anything else that comes to mind? I mean, the China balloon, I think, is an interesting one. I think I'm also going to have an interesting take that you don't see coming. Okay. And, unless you somehow listen to the Jess Machado show uh, over the weekend, because I did call in and give my take on that. So, oh, what hour did you call in? Uh, I was on the third hour. I was actually at a funeral. Oh, so. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. That seems like a good reason.